Well, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series entitled A Jesus-Centered Summer. How many of you have been having a Jesus-Centered Summer? All right. Good. A lot of hands go up. It's, it's not a very pointed question, so I'm not trying to trick anyone there. Um, I don't know if we've even technically had summer yet, but we've been having a Jesus-centered summer season, you know, especially in port, right? So a, a lot of times, though, as we know, summer can be very distracting for us. It can be the time when um, uh, things are packed, vacations are going on, celebrations are happening every week. It's a lot of fun. It's a blast. But what we're trying to do is we are trying to keep Jesus in, in the center of everything we do this summer as far as how we make our decisions and what we choose as a priority and, and, and how we choose to function. And so hopefully this question pops into our mind, does this help or hurt our relationship with Jesus? And so we've been looking at a number of different topics about um, how to have a Jesus-centered summer, and hopefully those have been um, beneficial to you to, to help you focus and have that Jesus-centered summer. And so today, for this morning, I'd like to start with a little interaction there are some things in this world that just go together, right? Like Bev and Portview. <laughs> there, but, but there are. There are just some things that go together like that. What, one of those things for me is, is iced tea and lemonade and Arnold Palmer. I really love that stuff. Those two just should go together, okay? Um, or fall and football, right? That's another one that just goes together for me. Um, Kristen would say that pizza and soda go together. You can only have soda when you have pizza, right? At least that's how it was in her house growing up. For some of you, springtime and allergies go together. Or how many students here would say Saturday mornings and sleeping in go together? Okay? That's right. Amen. Yes. That's right. But we're going to have a little interaction this morning, and I have a list of things that go together. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say the first one, and then you guys have to fill in with what goes with it. Okay? So we're going to, we're going to practice here. Let's try one. So finish, finish this. Mac and? All right. You got it. That's what we're looking for. Next one. Here we go. Salt and? Pencil and? Okay, you guys are doing good so far. Peanut butter and? Batman and kids and oh, I heard it. I just wanted to see what you guys would say. Everybody's answer was like Schnurmitzneman, and I asked my wife that one, and she, I said kids and she said messes. So, all right, here we go. Let's keep going. Uh, a bat and husband and I don't know who this is, but Sonny and Sonny and Cher. I I really don't. I'm sorry. Thing one and that's right. All the Dr. Seuss fans. Mike and Ike's. Yeah. Mike, Mike and Renee. That's right. Laurel and now let's see if you can get this one. Timon and Pumbaa. Good job. Nice. Very good. You guys did pretty well with those this morning. 
We are not going to be singing any Lion King songs. So this morning, I want to share with you something else that goes together just like those do. These two things that we're going to talk about this morning, they go together and have gone together for centuries and actually even thousands of years. And this is a combination really that puts every other combination to shame. It makes every other combination look like Snoopy and Charlie. And how many of you think you know what this combination is? Everyone, anyone have an idea? You're all looking at me like, I don't know what it is. Uh, some of you know. The two things that I'm going to be talking about this is, about this morning is called faith and hope. Yes, faith and hope. These two may not have made our fun list, but I would argue that this combination is infinitely more important than any other partnership that we could think of. And, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. My prayer for all of us, including myself this morning, is that we leave here with more hope than when we came in. Or at least a better understanding of how to gain true and real hope. And with a clearer picture of the significance of this union between faith and hope. This is a big deal. See, the reality is perfect hope is coupled only with a growing faith in Jesus Christ. I want to say that again. Perfect hope is only coupled with a growing relationship in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only way that true hope is realized. I want to start by talking about faith. Talking about faith. In order to understand this relationship between faith and hope, we need to define faith. So the question is, what is faith? Is it a a belief system? Is it simply an opinion in something that isn't provable? Or maybe a blind trust? Or a word synonymous with religion, right? We interchange those words quite often. Religion and faith. The truth is, if you were to go on the streets of Port Washington and ask the question, what is faith? You would find many different answers all over the board. If you were to ask a child who is in Bible quiz on the Portview Bible quiz team, they would say, some of you know this, faith is belief and complete trust in God, which is actually an excellent answer. Faith is belief and complete trust in God. The Bible, though, also defines faith. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start in Hebrews and look at Hebrews chapter 11. So everybody grab your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 1. And you may be familiar with Hebrews 11 verse 1, but then what we're going to do is, is spend most of our time this morning in the book of Romans. So Hebrews and Romans. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11 verse number 1. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Or in the King James, it's faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So what word do you see hiding in that definition of faith? Hope. It's right in there in the definition. Right away we see this marriage of faith and hope in this biblical definition. Hope is actually used to define faith. So we're going to keep reading to get a picture of what this faith looks like. Um, We can define faith, but how many of you know it's very different to actually know what it looks like or how it should be lived out, right? Those are two very different things. And so 
We need to have a good picture here before we can move on this morning of what faith is. So we're going to continue reading Hebrews 11, and we're going to read verses 2 through 12, and then 17 through 19. Starting at verse 2, it says, This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Let's jump to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. The writer of Hebrews gives us example after example of people throughout history who have practiced this definition of real faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the faith hall of fame, right? It just gives example after example after example. And one of the main characters written about in Hebrews chapter 11 is Abraham. He's actually recognized numerous times for his faith. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to jump over to Romans chapter 4, because in Romans 4, the Apostle Paul also writes about Abraham and his excellent example of faith. So Romans chapter 4. We're looking at a lot of scripture here because we really need to understand if hope and faith go together, we need to define what true faith is in order to discover the real and true hope. So here we go. Romans chapter 4. In most of Romans chapter 4 is talking about Abraham again. We're not going to read all the way through it. But it talks about Abraham being justified by his faith, not his works. He was justified to God by faith, not by what he did physically or, or by his actions alone. Just his faith in God. So what does this spiritual concept of faith mean? How, how do we have great faith like Abraham did or like these other people described in Hebrews chapter 11? Well, Paul says in verse 3 of chapter 4, Abraham believed God. In verse 5, talking about David, Paul says, However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. 
later on in chapter 4, verses 18 through 25, Paul says, talking about Abraham again, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him, but also for us, for all of us in this room too, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Are you getting a better picture on what faith means this morning? To have true faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. So we really and truly can define faith as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, right? Or we could say that faith is really and truly belief and complete trust in God. It is the only avenue by which we obtain salvation in Jesus Christ. It is by faith that we believe that God is who he says he is, that he will follow through with the promises he has made. Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That is great faith. And so we can look at a definition and say, okay, I get it, that's faith. But it's very different as we look at these examples of what faith looks like to live it out, isn't it? To really and truly believe that God is who he says he is and that he will follow through with everything that he's promised, no matter what we think or feel. That's true faith. Belief and complete trust in God. Our relationship with God comes down to faith. Belief and complete trust in God is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take this definition of faith and take it one step further and see what goes along with this kind of faith. If we have faith, well then what? What happens then? And in order to do this, we're going to look and spend most of our time in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This is where we're going to focus this morning. And in order for us to have understood what we're going to read in Romans 5, 1 through 5, we needed to define and kind of lay the foundation of what faith is and what it looks like. And so we're going to read together Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, since we have just been justified through faith, we know what that looks like, we have, well, this is what we have now, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's pretty nice, isn't it? At the end of the day, people want to have peace with God. They want to be at peace with God. But that's not all. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The New King James Version says hope does not disappoint. 
And this morning, I want to spend some time talking about this whole hope that doesn't disappoint. This is really an interesting passage of Scripture, because looking at what comes along with faith in God, we have peace with God, and, and by faith we gain access into grace, which Pastor Mitch and Pastor Bruce spent the last two weeks talking about grace. But that's not all. Paul spends the next three verses talking about faith being connected to hope. He says, and we boast in the glory of the, the hope of the glory of God. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we also have hope. They go together. Faith and hope go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Because this is true, then you can't say, I have hope aside from faith in Jesus Christ, right? If, if they come as a pair, if they come together, you can't say, well, I have hope and not have a faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's kind of what Paul is saying here in this passage of Scripture, that we may have wishes, we may have dreams, we may have things that we want to do, but we don't have true hope unless we have faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's kind of like this. When someone comes to faith in Jesus, they believe and completely trust in God, right? That's what, that's what salvation is. That begins their faith journey. And, and with it comes hope. So faith and hope are always connected in so much as they go together as much as husband and wife. Husbands and wives are very different, just like faith and hope are different concepts. But you can't have one without the other. If you're a husband, it means you have a wife. Right? And it's the same thing with faith and hope. If you have faith in Jesus, it means you have hope. They go together. So does that, is that making sense this morning? We want to connect this idea of faith and hope. They go hand in hand. So it, it sounds really good. I can say, well, great, since I believe in Jesus, I have hope too. But if, if I'm being honest, there's plenty of times I'm not feeling the hope. Right? How many of you have ever been, you're a follower of Jesus, but you have been in almost seemingly hopeless situations, right? We have been. So how does that make sense? How do we reconcile that? Well, that's a fair question. And so what we're going to do is explain this process of gaining real hope. Paul describes in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, there's literally a process that we can go through to gain true hope. It's not a it's it's not a process and then and then you get to the end and you graduate. You know, there's not like an ending point. But there's a process that we can go through day in and day out to ensure that through this process we can actually gain true hope even if we don't feel it. Okay? This is what Paul is describing in Romans chapter five, verses three through five. He lays out the process by which we gain real hope in the many areas of our life. So <clears throat> gaining real hope actually starts with faith in Jesus, right? We learn that. But that is just the start of gaining this very real hope that we can have in Jesus. The next step in gaining real hope comes with the sufferings or trials that come in our lives. How many of you have plenty of trials? Right? We have them. We have, in this world you will have trouble, Jesus says. And that's great actually, in this situation, because Paul is saying each of those trials are opportunities to move forward in this process of real hope. He says something that the rest of the world would say, you're crazy. Really? He says in verse 3, we glory in our sufferings. 
what he is saying here is, in, is an extremely important distinction, and here's why. Before faith in Jesus, we wouldn't glory in sufferings, right? Because we would have a physical, or the Bible would, would call a flesh perspective on life. But when we come to faith in Jesus, our perspective should change to a spiritual one, right? We should begin to look at life instead of through our own eyes we should, and, and, and physical eyes. We should look at life through a spiritual perspective. We used to see, see things in a self-centered light, but our faith in Jesus should change all of that to a Christ-centered light. And now we can say, take the world and give me Jesus, right? Take everything that the world has. I don't want it. Give me Jesus. This, it's that type of perspective. So we can glory in tribulations and sufferings, not because they're fun to go through, but because we begin to see these sufferings through the eyes of Jesus Christ. Our goal now is Christ-likeness, isn't it? If we're a follower of Jesus, our goal becomes we, we literally follow in his way. The, the early church was referred to as the way, the way of Jesus Christ. And so as followers of Jesus, our perspective changes. We should look at the things in our life through a godly or uh, point of view or perspective. And so let's take a look at the example of Jesus, our ultimate example. And we can see this process in his life. Jesus had an eternal perspective. Clearly, he did. A godly point of view during his time on earth. Look at all the sufferings he endured. Look at the, the temptations, the difficulty, the rejection. How many times did, did his message get rejected? And he's like, man, I'm the, I'm the savior of the world here. And not everyone's coming to Jesus that I share with, right? I mean, the physical abuse, the mocking, the agony of everything that led up to his crucifixion. If you want to talk about sufferings, Jesus is, is the ultimate example of that. So, <clears throat> what was it? What was his perspective like? His perspective was this. It was the hope that everyone would have access to if he completed and followed through with what God wanted him to do. That was it. It wasn't because it was fun. It wasn't because he got anything necessarily out of it except for the satisfaction of completing what God had told him to do. He knew that sufferings handled correctly produced perseverance. Consistent perseverance built godly character, and godly character grows a real hope that does not disappoint. That's the process that Jesus knew. He knew that one. And I don't know about you this morning, but I want to have that same type of hope that doesn't disappoint. Right? The disciples went through this process in the book of Acts, too. There was, uh, Pastor Chris referred to it last week, where, where they were arrested for preaching about Jesus. And then, and then what happened is uh, the council got together and, and they thought if they did anything, it would cause a lot of commotion. So what they did to the disciples is, they beat them and told them that they couldn't preach about Jesus and then released them. Okay? Now, they didn't come out of there being like, oh, man, that was really close. The Bible actually describes that they were excited. That's crazy. Why would you be excited about getting beat? Well, it wasn't getting beat that they were excited about. They knew that they gloried, that they could glory in sufferings. They knew that they were suffering with Christ. The Bible says that they counted it worthy, that they were worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. Now, that's a, that's a 
that's a heavenly and eternal perspective, isn't it? So as we begin to persevere, we begin to glory in tribulations, not because hard times are fun, but because our perspective changes from a physical one to a spiritual one. We begin to identify with Christ and say, I can glory in sufferings because when we do, we are becoming more like Christ as we begin to develop this trait of perseverance. Does that make sense? We are growing in our Christ-likeness when we choose to look at life this way. This is why it's so important to continue to move forward in our walk with God. There's no such thing as an end point or having arrived. No matter if we just came to faith in Christ or have been a Christian for 40 years, we must continue to pursue that love relationship with Jesus just as intensely. And if we do this, our faith in Jesus will be real and true hope in literally every situation. That's what the outcome will be. So we can rejoice in sufferings because they develop the trait of perseverance. And now perseverance builds godly character. See, our character is defined by the habits that we have created and our habits are made by the everyday decisions we make, aren't they? So when we consistently choose perseverance in difficult times, it results in godly habits and builds godly character. Does that make sense? So you literally develop your character, how you're defined, what you're known as, literally reflects those everyday decisions of perseverance through difficult times and through the good times. And so now look what happens when we do these things. In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 5, it says perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope that doesn't disappoint. See, here's the reality. All the hopes of this world, the wishes, the dreams of this world, they always disappoint, don't they? If you've lived long enough, you understand that. You can look back on the times where you said, man, I've tried that. It was really disappointing. It really wasn't any better. The grass looked greener on the other side, but... As a lot of times, it, it wasn't. See, you get the job you thought you always wanted, and it disappoints. You start making the money you've always wished for, and eventually it disappoints. You get the house that you've been dreaming of, and it too disappoints. Or even you get into the social group, or even marry the dream person, and what happens? They eventually disappoint. But there is a hope that doesn't disappoint. For those of you who have been saved from a life of sin, you understand this, right? You've tried what the world has has to offer, and you realize it leaves you hopeless and in despair. But a life with Jesus, now that's real hope. That is real hope. See, some people have experienced where the dreams and wishes and hopes of this world do disappoint, but faith in Jesus always gives hope. I'll be honest, though, through this process, Paul describes is actually pretty difficult. It's one thing to stand up here and talk about it. It's another thing to continually live it out, day in and day out. To choose Christ-likeness or holiness in every situation is tough, especially if you have spent 
you know, years doing things the wrong way. It's hard to undo that. But I promise it'll be worth the struggle. It's worth the wrestle. Every time, it's worth the battle. Because your perspective is eternal. And I see heads around nodding because you've experienced that. You want to say to the people around you, it is worth it. Keep going. It's worth the fight. There is real and true hope at the end of all this difficulty and all this mess. See, the only thing that never disappoints is the hope found in Jesus Christ. If you want a hope that never disappoints, consistently practice this process that Paul describes to us that starts with faith in Jesus, maintaining a Christ-centered perspective. And if you do this, eventually you will be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I glory in tribulation with a little smile on your face because you know what comes next and you know what comes next. Right? Does that make sense this morning? If we can get a hold of this process of gaining real hope, it will significantly impact us personally. It should change our lives. It should change how we think and act. But the impact of hope won't end there. The real hope Paul is talking about should impact everyone else around us. It's not something that just impacts us personally. So hope-producing faith in Jesus is the only answer for the despair of this world in our culture. I want to say that again. The hope-producing faith in Jesus Christ is the only answer for the despair of this world and in our culture. It really is. I don't need to remind any of you of the lack of hope in America today. Right? We see it all around us. What a mess. What a mess. You just have to look at the statistics of of teen suicide in our culture to get a picture of a real lack of hope. Suicide is the third leading cause of death among young people 15 to 24 years old, according to the Center for Disease Control. This, this, this shocked me. It's thought that at least 25 suicide attempts are made for every completed teen suicide. Isn't that sad? Each day in our nation, there are an average of 5,400 Suicide attempts by students in grades 7 through 12 every day. There are many causes or reasons for these statistics. Family situations, social pressures, bullying. And the world will go after to solve each one of those problems. But we know this, the root cause of each of those attempts is a lack of real hope. That's the reality. Teens aren't the only ones struggling with this, though. Overall, kids, teens, and adults, there were 39,518 suicides in our nation, and that was in 2011. Someone in America dies as a result of suicide every 13 minutes. When our service is done today, six people will have died from suicide or a lack of real hope. These numbers don't include the increase of depression in America or the search by many Americans for something to put their hope in. Those are just the numbers we have to work with. What about families? Have people lost hope in family? I've, I've heard of, of couples who have told me about um, celebrations of people getting divorced. A divorce party. They have cans on the back of their cars and their sign instead of saying just married says just divorced. 
People feel like there is no hope for their marriages and everyone around them seems to be telling them to leave. Parents maybe feel a lack of hope for their kids because of the difficulty of raising godly kids in a culture that seems to do literally everything to discourage the values that you're trying to pass on, doesn't it? Try to undermine everywhere with what you're trying to do. There seems, seems to be an overall lack of hope in the government, isn't there? We're not going to get into a political conversation, but man, the climate politically, there's not a lot of hope. People don't believe very much in our government. Most people believe our country is going in the wrong direction politically, no matter what side of the aisle that you're on. Can you think of maybe someone in your life, someone that you know, that you would describe using these words, like despair, disbelief, discouraged, hopeless, pessimistic, impossible, Those are words synonymous with a real lack of hope. These words could be used to describe the increasing mood of our culture. So what do people do? What's our common response as Americans? Well, they put their wishes, dreams, and aspirations into things like money, events, partying, causes, work, other people, everything else. And these things only end up disappointing them even more. And the cycle continues and continues and continues and to the point where you literally live in this process of despair, lack of hope, having tried everything and seeming never to be able to climb out. It's a pretty sad picture painted there. But we have good news. The hope of Jesus Christ. We have good news. The hope of Jesus Christ that doesn't disappoint. This is the message that we need to carry into our culture. That's why how we live is a big deal. That's why our decisions that we make personally and how we process through difficult times are a big deal. That's why how we share our faith is a big deal. That's why accepting Christ For many reasons, this is one of the main reasons why. It's the only way that you ever try and find true hope. We need to pass this on, carry it into our cultures, our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplaces, our schools, and with our families and our friends. This process described in Romans chapter 5 that we need to live out every day. Print this passage and put it on your refrigerator. Put it in your bathroom mirror. Put it in your phone. Memorize it as a family around the dinner table. This connection between faith and hope should guide how we think and speak and act. Hope that doesn't disappoint should direct our interactions between parents and kids, ourselves and coworkers, friends and family. Hope should be the central theme when we talk about our faith because they go hand in hand. I want to tell you just a brief illustration about this from my own life of how Romans 5, 1 through 5, played out with us. It was January 2006, and Kristen and I were extremely excited. We had had our first kid, first child. His name is Anthony. And everything went really smooth. Kristen and Anthony were both healthy. It was, 
It was a blast. It was life-changing, but it was a blast. We had officially started growing our family, and, and not too long after we thought, you know what, we, we should have another one, and sure enough, Kristen got pregnant again. We were pumped for number two. Kristen was about six or seven weeks pregnant when we realized something didn't seem right. And sure enough, at eight weeks, Kristen miscarried. We were completely crushed and pretty frustrated by, and by not knowing what happened. We wanted to be able to do something to make sure it didn't happen again. And later on that year, though, we found out that Kristen was, was pregnant again. And, but we were a little gun-shy. Um, we had kind of some tempered excitement, but things progressed as they should have the second time around, and we made it past the eight-week mark, and that was actually very exciting for us. And everything continued as planned until Kristen went in for a routine checkup on my birthday, and they could not find a heartbeat of our baby. And to our shock, it happened again that Kristen miscarried at 16 weeks or four months along. And she had a procedure done called a DNC because she was so far along. And the second one, again, just, just crushed us. We were frustrated and wanted answers but didn't get any. There was nothing that could explain why this happened twice. The worst part for me, and guys, I, I think you'll understand this, was, was watching my wife, who I committed to protect and love, be in so much hurt and pain and not being able to do anything to make it better. That's really frustrating. That was a sickening feeling to me. And, and together, we tried to process through the pain and the hurt that there were no answers for us. It was, it was during this time of pain and hurt, though, that God brought this verse and this concept of hope that doesn't disappoint. I have to be honest, though, and say that this wasn't a magic moment where everything was made better at that time, but... The idea kept coming back to us. And that verse began to define how we were going to handle this situation and where we would be truly placing our hope. I have since memorized that portion of Scripture and have repeated it often. About ten months later, we came to Portview, and almost exactly one year after our second miscarriage, in September of 2009, we were excited to welcome our second child, Elena, into the world. God had made this such a significant, significant scripture in our lives that her middle name will be a constant reminder to us of Romans 5, 1 through 5. Her full name reads Elena Hope Welch. Scripture says that there is a hope that doesn't disappoint. And we found that out in a very real way. Since then we had one more miscarriage and then came Aubrey Grace. I imagine that I'm not the only one in this room that has gone through or is currently going through difficulty, pain, sufferings, a seemingly hopeless situation. But God wants you to know there is a hope that doesn't disappoint, rooted in a strong faith with Jesus Christ. Others of you maybe trying to walk someone through right now a time of despair where all hope seems lost. And God is showing you this morning how to guide these friends or this family through 
that difficult time. And as we close today, I invite you to spend some time at the altar seeking this hope that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. I said at the beginning, God wants us to leave with more hope than when we came in. That's my prayer. God also wants us to understand the process that a lot of times we have to go through in order to realize a hope that doesn't disappoint. We have the hope of glory. We have the hope of eternity when we come to faith in Christ. And that's hope enough. But when the sufferings and difficulties of this world bring us to the point where hope is nowhere to be found, the Bible gives us a process to go through to find real and true hope once again. And that's a hope that we need to share. That's a hope that doesn't disappoint. There seem to be three ways when I look at this to respond. This morning, maybe for you to accept the hope offered through faith in Jesus Christ today for the first time. Or maybe living out the hope in your everyday life, working through that process. And for some of you, Maybe God's calling you to share the hope that doesn't disappoint with other people. So the question for all of us, as it usually is each each time God communicates with us, is how does God want you to respond this morning? Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. It doesn't disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I don't know about you, but this is the kind of hope that I want and need in my life. And I believe that you want this kind of hope in your life too. Amen. Would you please stand with me this morning? As we conclude in prayer, the altars are going to be open for prayer. I would encourage you to spend some time talking to God or responding however He would like you to. Let's pray. God, thank You that Your Word in so many ways tells us of the connection between faith and hope. God, thank You that that our faith in Jesus Christ means so much more than just one day going to heaven. But Lord, it is literally the only way that we ever access real and true hope. And so God, this morning, I don't know the situations that people are going through, but I know that your Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts right now. And God, I would ask that none of us would leave here without having more hope than when we walked in. That we would understand how we gain true and real hope. That it can be found. It is possible. But it's only through faith in Jesus. And Lord, help us to be bold and willing to share that hope. Help us to apply this idea each and every situation. So we can literally say with the Apostle Paul that we glory in sufferings. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that you give us true and real hope. 
It's in the name of Jesus we pray.